You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, while you're doing that, I, um, I just wondered when you opened the window this morning and saw the snow, what was the thought that came to your mind? Was it Christmas? Okay. Most people was like, oh, not snow. And uh, so I went to the book of concordance in my Bible today and uh, looked up the word snow. Um, You know, it's really interesting when we think about snow and what it is. And uh, for us, it's almost a a sinister thing. But uh, Psalm 51, 7 says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Um, back in Isaiah chapter 1 and uh, verse 18, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And uh, then down in uh, Daniel 7, 9, it says, His clothing was white as snow. Um, and then Matthew 28, 3, lightning and his clothing white as snow when it talks about the Lord. And so uh, when you're outside this afternoon shoveling, uh, looking down, every, every scoop that you take, look at that scoop of snow and then make a call to the chiropractor because you're going to need to go there too. But, but look at that scoop of snow and go, I was a dirty mess and God made me whiter than snow. And at least get something good out of the shoveling uh, that you're doing this afternoon. And understand if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you through the lens of what Jesus Christ has done, you are whiter than snow. And uh, so there you go. That's an extra. Not part of the message. You didn't pay for that. So uh, don't worry about it. But uh, be encouraged by that white stuff and just realize the spiritual implications of snow in Scripture. All right, well, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, we're going to be looking at today, uh, the word reward appears three times. When when words are repeated in a text, you need to uh, sit up, take notice, and uh, understand why they're there. Uh, Why is it important for us? And uh, so that word three times, the word reward is defined as a thing given in recognition of one's service, effort, or achievement. Um, uh, sometimes at school or uh, maybe you have it at home, the kids do something and you, you give them a sticker and they put a sticker on whatever they put it on. It's, it's a reward. Uh, uh, people give out ribbons. Uh, today you get ribbons just for participating in something. You don't even have to win. Uh, we give prizes out. We give trophies out. All of those are, are rewards um, that are given. And so today, as we take a look at this scripture, we, we want to take a look at the topic of, of rewards right out of this text. Now, this text is really a message about motives. It's really about why we do what we do and what is our heart like as we uh, seek to serve the Lord. Um, at, at this point in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus changes the focus of his teaching. We're going to see that, but first let's read the scripture. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
And when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that we can hold in our hands and, and, and study it and receive it. And God, I pray that as we hear your word this morning, your Holy Spirit would work as only you can. That you would take the truth of what Jesus was seeking to teach to the disciples that I will seek to teach to our people today. God, you will take this word and, Father, you will work in our hearts. Father, would you give us ears, a desire to hear your word today? Even if at some point along the line it becomes uh, uncomfortable, Lord, I, I want to hear it because I want what you have for me. Father, give us ears to hear and minds that we might understand it. And then, Lord, whatever we need to do as a result of hearing your word today, would you give us passionate hearts to do it for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, you can take your seats. Well, as Jesus did when he sat down and taught them um, during this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he started out, as you remember, with the, uh, the Beatitudes, those characteristics that are uh, to be reflected in our lives. And, and then he went on, he talked about being light, and he talked about being salt, and, and then he talked about the law. And, uh, and he talked about how, what he had come to do and how he would fulfill the law. And then he went through a number of different things that we looked at that where they had a perspective, a perception of what the law was. And, and he just took it and he said, uh, I'm going to put the bar where the bar really belongs. And uh, he did that in many different ways. Uh, you can go back and see those. And, but then we come to chapter 6 and verse 1, and uh, things change. Um, things change. Um, he starts to talk about reward. He wanted to, as, as he was correcting misunderstanding of the Old Testament uh, laws, here he's going to correct some popular misconceptions about what righteous conduct looks like. And we're going to see that over the next uh, few weeks. But in each of those sections, the word reward appears. And, um, and so the question is, your reward, when do you want it? And how do you get it? There's a right way to give to God, and there's a wrong way to give to Him. And um, so it depends on where and from what source um, you want your reward. And that's really what we dive into and we see in this text. And so in verse 1, we talk about reward, and the question is, what will you choose? And in verse 1, you choose verse 1, and the result will be no reward. Basically, there's three different kinds of rewards you can get. And the first one is nothing. You're going to get no reward. Verse 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There are three different things Jesus is going to teach. We're going to come back to those in just a second and, and, and how reward is tied uh, to each of them. Uh, but he starts out by saying, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Uh, how do you do the things that you do? He's going to zero in on three things, but in verse 1, he leaves it out there very general that practicing your righteousness is the motive, the heart for why we do the things that we do, uh, whatever they might be, whatever they might be. 
uh, the righteous deeds. You see, the rabbis in their day, they considered the giving to the needy and prayer and fasting as three of the chief acts of Jewish piety. If you did these three things well, you were a righteous person. And, and that's what Jesus is going to dive into for them because, because those three things were, as they would try and demonstrate it, their acts of worship and what they would do as they sought to worship God. And, and so they would worship God through giving to the needy. They would worship God through prayer. They would worship God through fasting. But, but once again, they had got it wrong and they'd got the focus on to the wrong things. And Jesus is going to teach them. Here's some of the things. Here's four things they're going to learn uh, in this text and over the next uh, couple of weeks. He warns his disciples not to act for man's praise. Don't act for man's praise. He assured them that if they disregarded his warning, they would get human praise, but no more. Oh, that was the second thing he would teach. The third thing he taught them was to act for God alone. That the motive in what we do, the motive in way we serve is, is for God alone. That's why we do what we do. And then he assured them that the Father who sees in secret would reward their righteous act openly. And so Jesus is teaching them, as you do the things you do, especially the things that you do that are supposed to be done in my name, so he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, before other people, and then the next words are key, to be seen by them, or in order to be seen by them. Uh, so think about the things that you do. Think about the ways that you serve as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe the things even you do in our church. Uh, think of the things that you do out of the time and the talent and the treasures that God has given you. Uh, is your motive, is your heart in those things always, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. If nobody even ever comes and says thank you to me, I'm going to keep doing it because I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the Lord. Now, it's easy to stand up here and say that. It's not so easy after week six of serving and somebody doesn't come and at least say, you know, thanks for coming out. But that's what Jesus is really getting at because what they were doing, they were doing their righteous deeds, what? To be seen of other people. So will we ever do this perfectly? We're never going to do this perfectly on this side of heaven. But the, the reality of our service and the focus of what we do is to be done for the Lord, whether it's the time that you give. And so if you find yourself preparing for Harvest Kids, the, the people who serve with our kids, they're the heroes in our church, right? You all understand that? Especially the nursery workers. Um, the rest of us will get a reward in heaven. People who take care of kids, they're getting a big reward in heaven. Um, um, and so you, you give your time for that, and, and you prepare so you're ready to go, and, and as you're getting ready, I hope there's no snotty-nosed kids today. I hope I don't get the flu or some disease that's going to kill me from doing this, or I hope just once some parent would come along and say, thank you for what you do for our kids, and why, why? And it all becomes about you, and you focus on you, and when that's your heart, this is how much reward there is from God. There's none. There's zero reward. 
what the verse says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the time that you give, the talent you have, you, you're artistic, you've got this ability to do things, and you create all of this, and, and uh, if your heart was really exposed, you're doing it so people will look at you. Your time, your talent, your treasures, your money, the things, your stuff, and or maybe look at it a little bit differently. In Harvest, we talk about the three W's, how we worship, walk, and work for Christ. Uh, when you worship Christ at church, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that you might be seen by them. And, and um, just because you stand in the front row and put your hands up when you worship, there may be no reward. There may be no reward. If you come to church and your heart is in a bad place and, and you're just going through the motions so that other people will see you and think, well, I guess, I guess their day's going really well. Man, Daniel must be really on fire for Jesus. Look at the way he's waving his arms this morning while he worships. And what you're doing is practicing your righteousness before man. There's no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Nothing. How we worship, how we how we walk. Well, honey, we got to get the small group again this week because we said we would go. Check. Check. Now, I'm not saying don't show up if you're struggling with your attitude. The issue is fix your attitude, right? But, but if, if it's just to go to get a check mark, if you came this morning thinking, if I don't go, somebody might phone me. I haven't been for three weeks and here's your reward. There's no reward from your Father who is in heaven because God's looking at your heart. Worship, walk, and work for Christ and how we serve and the attitude we do it with and what we're going after. If you practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's a choice that we can make and we can choose to have no reward. God help me that that never becomes my priority. That never becomes my heart. I somehow want people to see me so much that I would sacrifice the reward that God promises those who keep their eyes fixed on him. Would that be our heart? God help us to keep that kind of a focus. And so someone, you might ask the question, um, does this not kind of contradict the principle that Jesus was teaching back in chapter 5, verse 16? If you need to turn your page back one, that's fine. Go to, go to 516. It says, uh, in the same way, let your, your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Pastor Paul, come on, for Pete's sake. We're supposed to do this so people can see our good works. Well, Here's what happens when you take Scripture out of context. When you take Scripture out of context, you always end up with the wrong answer. See, what I didn't do was read you the rest of the verse. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, and what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's why we do what we do. That's why you should have the best work ethic of anybody in your workplace. That's why as a dad, as a mom, you should be seeking to live before your kids, not in a way that will impress them, but in a way that will turn their eyes to Jesus Christ so that he will get the glory. He will get 
the fame. It'll be about him, that they will glorify your father who is in heaven. In John 3 and verse 30, when uh, John the Baptist is coming to grips with the work of Jesus Christ and why he had come and why he was serving, and he says in John 3 and verse 30, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. God, in everything I do, help me. Help me, Lord, that my eyes are fixed on the glory of God. God, every message that I preach that people wouldn't be, well, didn't Pastor Paul do a great job today? Uh, that's a wonderful thought that I could do a great job today, but that's not why we're here. We're here that God would get the glory. And so when you serve in Harvest Kids or youth or serve in a small group or just attending or when you're reaching out to your neighbor, are you doing it so they will see you or are they doing it so that God would be glorified, that he would be lifted up? Oh, God, help us search our hearts as we serve him. That he would get the glory. That the reward that we will see later would come from him. Now let me make a comment about salvation. Because salvation is not a reward. Do you hear that? Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And the rewards are things that we serve and we do and out of the abundance and God's spirit helping us and working and all the rest. And there's the potential for reward. But salvation isn't like that. Salvation is a gift that comes from God and you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even want it. And God took you from a place where you hated God, didn't want God or, or resisted against him. And he turned your heart and you came to a place of repentance and faith. And so your salvation is not a reward. Your salvation is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, not of anything we would do so that we could never boast in it. And so as you hear a message about reward, this is not about how you get to God. This is a message of how we serve in Jesus Christ. And so we understand what Christ did for us and our separation and our hopelessness, that every scoop of snow this afternoon, you pick it up, straighten your back out a bit and look what Christ did. That represent that whiteness, that perfection, that purity, that represents what Christ did for me in my salvation. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, he gave me this awesome gift. If you never received the gift of salvation, you can today. That's why Jesus came. He came so we could have life and we could have it abundantly. And it's a gift. It's a gift that comes from him. But every child of God now has responsibilities and every child of God has opportunities. And how will we take those responsibilities? How will we take those opportunities? And how will we get our focus on, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this for the elders. I'm not doing this for the church. I'm not doing this for my family. I'm, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I read this quote. It said, I will stand before God and I will be rewarded according to my faithfulness in fulfilling of those obligations and responsibilities that God has placed before me while I am here. 
And so it's proper for me to desire that reward from God and to seek after that reward from God. There's nothing wrong with the idea, the concept of reward. God promises reward. But what kind of reward do you want? And the first one, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 is no reward. No reward. God looks down at the work you've done, the service you've done, and says there is no reward. That's the first one. The second one is what I've called temporal reward. What will you choose? Will you choose to go after temporal reward? Look what he says in verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, changes the focus here to meeting the needs of people who have specific need, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. Uh, They already got it. Their reward is temporal. It's not eternal. And notice that he says in the text, thus when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. And so this is a little thing we can take for ourselves in our church. And and, and what are we doing to help those who are in need around us? We seek to do that as a church. We seek to do that through benevolence. We seek to do that in lots of different ways as a church. But, But the question is, it goes beyond the church. It goes to me. And what do I do? in this. Um, I think the application of a lot of what we're going to see today is about reward and how we serve, but that's not what Jesus drills at here, and the illustration he gives is when there's a need. You don't take from what you give to the church to meet a need in someone else's life, but out of the abundance, the fact that we live in the top five percentile of people in the world, we have more disposable everything than 95% of people who live in the world, and what are we doing with that? How are we using that to bless someone, to encourage someone, especially when we see a, na- a need around us, when you, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy? First Timothy 6 talks about the blessings that we have. It says in verses 17 and 19, as for the rich in this present age, I don't think there's any definition of that that wouldn't include virtually everyone in the room. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly, truly life. And so we've been blessed with so much. How are we using? What's our accountability to be using what God has given to us? We have a relationship with the Lord. We have our commitments to the church. But, but what are we doing to meet the needs of the needy? Don't wait for the church to lead you to, okay, we're going to do this little project over here, and that's all fine. We need to do that as a church. We need to be about those things. But what are you doing when you, not if you, when you do these things? But that's not really the point I think that he's really trying to get at here. The point he's getting at here was the attitude that was going by the religious leaders of the day. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And don't sound a trumpet. Now, they had to have a way so that people would know that there was availability of funds or support, and, and, and that might have been the way it was done. But what was happening was uh, people who had wealth, uh, the religious leaders, when they were going to give to the poor, they were making a parade out of it. So everyone would know what they were doing. And they were making a show of it. 
Um, when you do it in the synagogue, that would be the place of assembly for religious worship. Or, or when you do it in the streets. And, and so what they were giving, and as they were giving to the needy, it was all about, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. But maybe that's a little bit like we are. Maybe not in the giving to the needy, but maybe in the way we serve. And we wouldn't know it because we'd never say it out loud, but in our heart we know it because when somebody doesn't respond to us, we know what our heart says. And so as we serve, as we give, do we give looking for what some kind of a response there will be or, or even a little more blatant than that? We bring our thing that we do and we make sure everybody sees it. I put our name at the bottom of it. We When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Now that's what the hypocrites, that's what the hypocrites do. In Matthew 23, Jesus is going to name the hypocrites as the scribes and the Pharisees. You can, you can go back and read that, but now that word hypocrite is a Greek actor. It was a person who was a stage player. And uh, so everybody who acts, if you ever did a, your thing at school and you had to be an actor, I, I remember in high school uh, at the Christmas pageant at our church, I was to be Joseph. And, uh, and Mary was there. And so, you know, we had to walk up the center aisle of the church and do our thing and go and knock on the door and find out that there was no room at the inn. And then we went over to the manger and, and a baby is born. And I was playing a part. I wasn't Joseph. I was playing the part of Joseph. Well, that's what they're doing. That's what that word hypocrite means. In their context, it wasn't even a negative word necessarily. But the picture was you're pretending to be something that you're not. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were being hypocrites. They were putting everything out there so people would think they were something when they were really nothing. God, help my heart in the way I serve. That that would never be what I would be going after. That would never be my passion. Because look what it says at the end of the verse. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. People are, oh, look what he did. Look what he did. Oh, man, that's amazing. Alex Louie, he has $100,000. He wrote a check. He gave it to the church. Before he did, he ran through and showed everybody the check so they would all know. Looking forward to receiving that check, by the way, this afternoon. But, <laughs> and everybody needs to know what I did. Everybody needs to know what I accomplished. Everybody needs to see it. You already got your reward. Now, there's no reward coming from God for that. And you already got the reward you're going to get for that. Because you wanted it to be seen by men. Now that's all the reward there's ever going to be for you. I sure don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be my heart. Those words, you have your reward, come from the Greek word paid in full. You have been paid in full. Everything you deserve, everything you think you might, that's all there is going to be. It has been paid in full. There will be no reward from the Father in heaven, not now, not ever. You have been paid in full. In essence, what they're doing is not really giving, but buying. They're not really giving, but rather they're buying. They want to be praised by man. They want to be paid for it. Uh, they want everyone to see temporal reward. Well, the third one is eternal reward. And which would you choose? Is this what you would go after? Look at verses 3 and 4. 
But when you, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on our heart. It's true in our service, it's true in our giving, it's true in every area of our life. And you want the reward from God, the reward from God is going to come based on your heart and what you did, what you, why, what you did, and why you did um, those things that you did. Were they for God and were they for his glory? Don't even let your left hand, when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Wow. In essence, our giving is supposed to be even hidden from ourselves. That's really what he's trying to tell them. It's not a, this is not a verse about why the people in church shouldn't know how much the offering should be. Some people say, well, no, 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 you know, the Bible says nobody should know what you give. I just think that's a great principle anyways, and you can take from this, but that's not what he's talking about. The needy, he's talking about when you give. He said, even in yourself, your heart needs to be going for that kind of purity, Maybe it's just because you just do it so often you can't even remember how often you do these things. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The picture is one of secrecy so that we would avoid hypocrisy, uh, not only in ourselves, but hypocrisy of other people and what they can see so that your giving may be in secret. He's going back to our heart. He's going back to our motive Proverbs 19 and verse 17, it's an amazing verse, says this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Think about that. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him from his deeds. See, we tend to think of, well, you know, a guy needs a, a, a cup of coffee, somebody needs a meal, or we need to help somebody find a place to live and help them support with that. We, we need to get them furnishings, we need to get the, and we tend to be thinking about it all on the externals and, and on a this earth level, right? That's how we tend to look at things. And, and, and God says, when you give to a need, when you meet a need, and you do that in secrecy, and nobody knows, there's no fanfare, said you're making a loan to the Lord. What you give, you take your $20 and, and it's like it's a loan to the Lord. And he will repay. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now, what a different attitude that would bring to us if we could take hold of that and understand that in the things we do and the way we give and the support things that we find ourselves in. It's like, this gift is a, a loan to the Lord. And he's going to repay. I know for sure that any loan from the Lord, he's going to be good for it. I know that it's going to come back. And I, because it's coming back with reward, there's going to be an abundance that comes out of that that's just beyond what we could even imagine. So that your giving may be in secret. It may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he shall reward you. You know, the Bible talks about the attitude in which we give, specifically in, in Corinthians when it's talking about the attitude of, of gifts we give to the church. It, it says this, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's a word, a hilarious giver. It's like, ah, 
I get to do this. This is amazing what I get to do. I get to give out of all that God has entrusted to me. It's all his anyways. And I get to give it back. And I'm supposed to give it as a hilarious giver. Not as a reluctant giver. Not as somebody who's being forced to do something. I, I, I get to do this. This is amazing. When you give to the Lord, give hilariously. What you can't give to God hilariously, you ready? Keep it. Just keep it. And I struggle with saying that because we've got a budget we have to meet. I get that for sure. I'm talking about that side of the equation. Talking about your heart and how you give. And to the point where if you don't give hilariously, joyfully, willingly, go see George after the service, ask for your envelope back and go home, sit before the Lord. If you're giving because, oh man, I got to give, we're not going out for dinner at Swiss Chalet this week because I got to give something to Jesus. Take it back and keep it because we don't want it and neither does God. He doesn't need your $25 that comes from an ungenerous, unwilling, uncaring, unloving heart. God will meet the need in a different way. See, the point of this message is God's looking at our heart to see the things that we do. And, and if you write your check, you put it in, and you're like, I hope somebody saw me put my envelope in this morning. I hope they saw me what I did. You just got your reward, and you get no reward from God. But when we give in secret with the left hand, not even knowing what the right hand is doing, not looking to build ourselves up, not looking for God's glory, look what it says for us. It says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. He will reward you. The first two times that word reward is used, it's a noun. At this time when the reward word is used, it is a verb. It's an action word. It's an ongoing thing. It's a moving forward thing. Your father who sees in secret will himself, he will reward you. There's going to be blessing that God is going to bring on you that you would have never understood. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, there's an inheritance that's coming. There's a reward that's coming. We may not see it on this side. If you want to get your reward on this side, you go for it, but that's all there is. It's temporal. You get it now. It won't be satisfying. A week from now, you'll wonder about it again and It'll be gone, and God's not giving you any more reward. But when we serve the Lord and we put the focus on him, will we get a reward on this side of heaven? We might. God might choose to bless us and pour it into us and, and give it to us right now. And he might not. He might be saving it for something that will come later. But God is the one who's the rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6. Galatians 6.9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God, give us hearts that we be people of God who give in things that are pleasing to you. 
and are not to be seen by men, but are to be designed to bring glory to God. And they will trust God for a reward, for the reward of a righteous heart. God, help us. Help us to search our hearts and the things we do, the way we serve, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your family, the way you live with your neighbor. What, why are you, what is your motive in doing those things? God helping us a little bit more every day that our motive would be to serve and glorify God. Well, so what? So what? It's a great passage about all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Take your Bibles and turn there. We're not going back to Matthew, so we're going to stop here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verses 12 to 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in you? God, guard my heart. That's me. Each of us should be saying that. God, guard my heart in my motive and how I serve and why I serve and who I serve for with my time, my talent, my treasures, the things that I do. Lord, why do I do, why do, I do those? Has, has there been a, like a sense in what I'm doing and I've become disgruntled and frustrated in, in my serving and... And God tell you, no reward from me for that. And any reward you have on this earth, you, you already got it. But it's time to put a stake in the ground and start afresh. It doesn't mean there will never be any reward. God sees our hearts more than any of us ever can. But, but moving forward, God, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. I'm going I'm to serve those little kids in Awana. I'm going to serve those kids in Harvest Kids. I'm going to be a youth worker. I'm going to be a small group leader. I'm going to be a witness in my workplace. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do it for their well-done, good and faithful service, servant. I'm going to do it for God's well-done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to go for. It's all our act of worship. It's all the way that we serve the king who saved us. It's about the one who washed us whiter than snow. Now what will I do to serve him? And so the way we serve, the way we live, and what we do is all as best we can an act of worship to put God on the throne. And when we get him off the throne to understand the consequence of that with a desire, Lord, I'm going to get that right. I'm going to make a fresh start. I'm going to renew. Just God forgives us. He restores us. We get back in a good place. Let's move forward in our acts of worship in serving so that we won't stand before God with no reward. He'll say, you already got it, but rather we will see and we'll be blessed, and we'll take those crowns, and we'll cast them at the Lord's feet because of all that he's done for his fame and his glory 
in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the challenge of it. Oh God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Lord, maybe um, we've been practicing our righteousness. The deeds themselves are the deeds, but God, we've been doing them with a wrong heart. We've been doing them with a wrong motive. In some ways, we look at ourselves. We've been on the Lord. Look at me plan. Look what I can do. Look what I've accomplished. And, and, and Father, people see it and they go, wow, that's amazing what you do. And we have forfeited the reward that would come from you. Fix our hearts on you, Jesus Christ, that we would serve you well, that you would lead and direct and be our helper and our strength, and that our reward would come from you and you alone. Father, this is our worship. This is the way we are. That we sing, we raise our hands, and our hearts are wrong. There's no act of worship. We, we serve you, and we do it for ourselves. There's no act of worship. Lord, you're the King of kings. You are the Lord of Lord. Teach us, Lord, to worship humbly and wait patiently for you to lift us up, to give us the reward that you desire to give to your children. Humbly, God, help us walk before you. For the fame of our Savior, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.